Easter is coming up. We'll discuss the resurrection with Christian apologist Josh McDowell. And we'll ask him why many young people are critical of the church. Also, will the regime of Russia's new president be an unofficial third term for Vladimir Putin? We'll ask an expert. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, here on a Friday afternoon. It's not snowing yet uh, now. It was yesterday for me at this time. In fact, there are still snowmen in my neighborhood. Uh, it'll probably melt and we may get some more. But uh, here's another piece of news. Russia has elected a new president to be inaugurated in May, May uh, 7th to be specific. He has been handpicked by the current president, uh, President Putin. The question is, who will really hold the reins of power? Will Putin, as prime minister, control the new president, or will it be the other way around? We're going to ask an expert. He is Ariel Cohen from the Heritage Foundation. He will join us a little bit later. There is a new uh, report out, though, about the economy. The numbers aren't so great. Our economy lost 63,000 payroll jobs in February, uh, although the unemployment rate improved to 4.8%. Uh, losing a job is painful. Uh, This report says that uh, more than 60,000 jobs were lost. The Wall Street Journal says two crucial barometers of the nation's housing market also have worsened markedly in recent months. And, of course, this ratchets up the pressure for Washington lawmakers to stem the housing crisis and also its impact on the financial system. The number of American homes entering foreclosure rose to the highest level on record ever in the fourth quarter of 2007. And uh, at the same time, homeowners' share of equity in their homes fell to a post-World War II low. Some people are asking the question whether or not uh, we are heading into a recession. President Bush says that he thinks this stimulus, uh, stimulus package that Congress passed just a few weeks ago will help the economy soon. As more businesses take advantage of these new incentives, as well as lower interest rates, We expect investment will continue to grow and that businesses will begin creating new jobs in the months ahead. And uh, we will, of course, be watching that. Some of you are feeling it. uh, Some of you are not. And uh, we'll continue to watch the numbers and also the fixes, because sometimes uh, you just have to let those who have bought homes that they couldn't afford lose those homes. Uh, That's what the Wall Street Journal says. As a matter of fact, there was a piece about it today uh, talking about the fact that sometimes lenders made it too easy for folks to get loans and people 
would rather get out of it right now because they're underwater in their equity. So we'll uh, we'll follow that one. And also later in the program, Josh McDowell will be joining us. We're going to talk about the resurrection with him. But uh, let's go now to uh, a story that's quite interesting uh, since there's been a uh, primary this week, a couple of big primaries. And uh, Hillary Clinton got a little bit of a boost. An advisor, though, to Barack Obama has had to resign after calling Mrs. Clinton a monster. Here's the report. Samantha Power made the comment to a Scottish newspaper while saying Clinton was stooping to anything in the campaign. She tried to keep the remark from appearing in print, but it was published today. Power quit the Obama campaign after calling her remarks inexcusable and apologizing to both Clinton and Obama. Clinton's congressional supporters had earlier called for Power to be fired from her role as an unpaid foreign policy advisor. Power is a Harvard professor and a Pulitzer Prize winner. Sagar Magani, Washington. Well, she ought to watch her words, I suppose. Well, next up, uh, we're going to talk about one of the uh, Republican candidates who actually quit the race today. Ron Paul uh, actually announced that he is leaving the race. Of course, he's still running for his seat to be reelected to his seat in Congress. Does that matter to you? Does that affect uh, the way you're going to behave in the next election? And does it make a big difference? Are you glad Ron Paul uh, ran? We'd love to hear from you. 800-881-9270. And... Uh, Here's his announcement. He announced the end of his presidential campaign on his website. Your support and enthusiasm has far surpassed all my expectations. Much good has been accomplished this past year. The number of volunteers, the hours of work, the large number of donors, and the magnificent funds raised confirms a grassroots support for our cause that was just waiting to be energized. Well, Ron Paul did uh, actually raise a lot of money and a lot of enthusiasm. And, of course, I think uh, one of his main uh, points that brought him so much support was the fact that he was against the war in Iraq. He talked on his website in this announcement about the inroads made by his campaign. Though victory in the conventional political sense is not available in the presidential race, many victories have been achieved due to your hard work and enthusiasm. For that, I am deeply grateful and encouraged. We must remember elections are short-term efforts. Revolutions are long-term projects. There's also a uh, piece of news that John McCain, according to exit polls from Tuesday's primary in Texas and Ohio, is actually still not attracting evangelicals. Mike Huckabee got most of those votes, and uh, we can give you some of those numbers later. But right now we have a very special guest with us. And as I mentioned earlier, Easter comes fairly early this year, and we're, of course, going to be thinking about the resurrection. With us to help us do that is a very special guest. He is Josh McDowell. He's an author and uh, also a Christian apologist. And uh, one of his famous, most famous books, many of you probably have on your shelf and have read, Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict, but there are many more. And uh, so uh, happy to uh, welcome to the microphone Josh McDowell. Josh, thanks for joining me. Well, hi, Penna. It's so good to have you. It's been a long time. Well, it, it has been. Yes, it has. But, and, but thanks for giving me the opportunity. Well, we're glad. We're going to talk about the resurrection, but first I want to just tell our listeners what you've meant in my life, because uh, many years ago, and I won't even tell people how many years ago, when you were with Campus Crusade, you came to my college campus in California, and you spoke to groups of young people. I was invited by friends. I was not a believer at that time, and uh, what you said to us was instrumental in my becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in my senior year. And I'm so grateful to you. Well, I'm still on staff at Campus Crusade. 
Well, Josh McDowell is with us. And Josh, before we go to the resurrection, I do want to ask you a couple of questions about young people because I know you've always had a heart for them. We're seeing right. we're seeing some um, some reports out from the Barna Group and others. Uh, they talk about how young people have sort of a negative attitude with regard to the church these days. Uh, these are self-identified born-again believers, but they're saying they just don't like the church in America. They think it's, for instance, too pro-homosexual. Uh, they think it's just maybe a little bit stodgy in a sense, too much affiliated with the religious right. What is your reaction to those types of uh, statistics? Well, first of all, you always have a high percentage in every culture who questions the attitude, the ministry of the church. Now, it is higher than it's probably ever been before by maybe 30, 40% higher. But the, the issue is this. They, it's not so much that the church is against certain things, but it's more how it appears to them that we are against it, like with a very arrogant attitude of, uh, we appear with our attitude to be very, very intolerant. And that's what uh, is a turnoff to most young people. And, and I would have to say, you know, for a certain percentage of, of evangelical Christianity, that's true. But for the majority, it's not. But young people don't see that. And if I'm correct, I think it's something like 68% uh, say the church is negative. And that is high. It affects everything we share with them. Uh, it affects every Christian, every evangelist, every parachurch ministry, everything. Uh, and it's something we do need to be aware of. But we just need to make sure in our own personal lives that we live what the gospel teaches and that we truly love people. Now, loving people mean, doesn't mean you don't question their lifestyle or whatever, but it's how you question it. Well, I know one thing that has always been important to use relationships with young people, either as parents or as people who influence young Christians, and that is uh, they're looking more at that relationship than they are at the doctrine that you are sharing with them. And I know that's been a message that has resonated in your ministry probably from the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, what engenders a young person to believe? that will even cause one own, one's own child to want to know your Savior, know your Christ, uh, live out the Scriptures, live out your values, is relationships. People say, oh, no, McDowell, it's the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit, but what does the Holy Spirit use? Relationships. David said in Psalm 26.3, I've been constantly aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. If David had not seen that unfailing love, he never would have lived according to the truth. And, uh, and this is true today, that it's relationships that engenders beliefs. And if we do not form those relationships, then especially in today's culture, they won't listen to you. But I don't put a greater premium on relationships than I do on truth or doctrine. Um, well, let's because go to truth for a second, uh, Josh, because another side of this and some of the studies over, I'd say, the past decade have also shown that a lot of our Christian young people don't understand uh, biblical truth and they don't believe that there are absolutes uh, in life. Is that changing at all? Well, yes, a majority do not believe that there is any truth. Um, 
And it's because of the whole shift of culture to postmodernism. But this is what I say. If we do not live it out in our lives, and they see it's true for us, then they won't believe there is any truth. That's the issue. And this is why I think it's so important that we truly live by the way in our families, our marriage, our children, our friends, our neighbor, and all, uh, that we demonstrate there is truth. And you won't have any problem with kids then. You won't. Josh McDowell is with me. Josh, you sound like you're out in the wind a little bit in this uh, cold yeah, winter. Yeah, I'm inside a, a place at a restaurant, and I stepped outside and it was so cold and windy. <laughs> Forget <back>. that. <laughs> Let me ask you about the resurrection, because uh, one of your books, of course, is The Resurrection Factor, and we're coming up on Easter, and we're going to be focusing on that uh, in the coming days. How important is the doctrine of the resurrection to the Christian faith as a whole? Well, I think the resurrection relates to where are we going? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And the resurrection confirms a person's destiny that God is, Christ is his son. And the resurrection also confirms that we are forgiven. Uh, this is Romans chapter 1. If Christ had been not raised from the dead, according to the scriptures, then we would still be in our sins because Christ would still be in the grave and have died, and that was it for our sins, not raised for our life. And then, the resurrection, let's face it, uh, Paul said, if Christ be not raised from the dead, your faith is worthless. And over the years, I've done over 250 debates in universities, and, and I tell my opponent, look, you want to refute me? You want to win this debate? Simply show me, demonstrate the resurrection never happened, and all Christianity crumbles, and I go with it. And no one has ever done that in 47 years traveling, debating universities. Josh McDowell is with me, and of course, uh, as we come up, up on Easter, uh, we'll probably see on the covers of many national magazines uh, articles and cover stories that question the divinity of Christ and, of course, the resurrection. And uh, if you want to know more about why the resurrection is central to uh, the Christian faith, it is an absolute must that you believe in the resurrection. You can read the works of Josh McDowell, uh, specifically The Resurrection Factor. But Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and, and, and I trust that, that this year will be one of the greatest times you've ever had leading up to, to Easter. And you. What a, Easter and Christmas are my two favorite times. Thanks for joining us, Josh McDowell. We appreciate uh, you and your great ministry of many years. God bless you. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's Chriswell.edu.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Let us hope that we can one day look back and say that this campaign was a significant first step that signaled a change in direction for our country. Our job now is to plan for the next phase. As was the case in the campaign, this continued effort will logically continue to be a grassroots effort and not a top-down, rigidly controlled central operation. Well, that was Ron Paul, and uh, on his website he announced that he is no longer running for president. Uh, Are you disappointed? Did you like seeing Ron Paul in the campaign? And... uh, you know, what's next for Ron Paul? I know he's running for Congress, and uh, he's had many terms, and I think he won the primary and doesn't have a Democrat opponent, so I guess he will be in Congress. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on the candidacy of Ron Paul, did you support him? Uh, give us a call, 800-881-9270. A little bit later in the program, we're going to talk about Russia, because last Sunday there was an election, uh, if you can call it that, and uh, Newsweek magazine talks about uh, the fact that Uh, Many years ago, in 1992, in the St. Petersburg mayor's office, a couple of guys worked there. One was Vladimir Putin, and another one uh, was Mr. Dmitry Medvedev, who is now the uh, president-elect of Russia. Putin uh, has been president and uh, very, very popular, 76% approval ratings in Russia. His hand-picked successor uh, will take office May 7th, but uh, will... He really be a president, or will Putin still hold the reins and the strings? And what will be the relationship with the United States? We're going to talk about Russia in the next segment. But I want to go back uh, to this Paul campaign because we've got some calls coming in. Frank and Little Elm. Uh, Frank, thanks for uh, joining me. Hi, Penna. Yeah, I, I think Ron Paul has done some good in this campaign. I don't agree with him on the issue of life. Uh, he's not nearly as strong, but I think he's opened the I eyes. I think he's pro-life, though. Yeah, he is pro-life, but he, he tends, you know, he doesn't seem to want to favor, um, you know, uh, some of the things I'd like to see, like a federal marriage amendment and things like that. But, I mean, I, I certainly think on a constitutional side, he's really uh, come out strong. During the debates, he was very smart on monetary policy and the fact that we have a, a huge $10 trillion burgeoning debt and that we've got to get our grip on, on the way we're spending money. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like him. I, I don't agree with him on everything. But, boy, I, I sure agree with him and uh, with regard to fiscal policy and monetary policy. And, you know, I think the reason he wouldn't be for something like a federal marriage amendment is he doesn't like fooling around with the Constitution very much. That's right. And he's a libertarian, and so he's basically thinking that states should do what they want to do on most of the issues. And I exactly. guess, I don't know if he's for... Uh, a human rights amendment either on I'm not abortion. sure either, but, you know, the other thing, and I don't want to take any more time, one thing also is he talked about abolishing the federal tax system and coming up with something that people could actually understand that would help families yeah. and help working women, you know, be able to afford to stay home if they wanted to stay home and, and also to take care of their families and, and, you know, just the repressive personal tax system is so burdensome. I mean, he was the only one during the debates, and I watched them, and he was the only one that actually talked about it. All the other candidates just kind of glossed over it, other than Mike Huckabee, of course. I got my uh, book in the mail from the IRS to do your taxes with, and it's absolutely intimidating. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate you your call. You 
I mentioned earlier the, the exit polls, uh, which showed that uh, John McCain is still not attracting evangelicals. And uh, let's just go into that a little bit more, uh, because a lot of most of the evangelicals, even though they knew that Mike Huckabee really had no chance to get the nomination, still voted for him. And uh, I think they did it uh, to send a message that the social issues are important. At least that's what I've heard from uh, many people that I've talked to about it. Of course, he was soundly defeated in all four of Tuesday's primaries and caucuses, and he did withdraw very graciously from the race on Tuesday night. Uh, so now what? I mean, if McCain expects to capture the evangelical vote in November, what does he need to do? Uh, if you've got a thought on that, you can call us. We've got a little more time in the segment, 800-881-9270. Here's what Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council told us that he does need to do. Uh, he told us this on Tuesday night in our election coverage on KCBI, and I'm reading it also from CNS News. He says McCain can get that vote in November, but he's going to have to work for it. Uh, he says it would be a mistake to assume the conservative vote is just going to gravitate to the Republican nominee. But the question is, where is it going to go then? Uh, in Texas, here's the exit polling. Sixty percent of Christians who attend church more than once a week voted for Huckabee, while only 33 percent voted for McCain. In Ohio, it was 54 percent of churchgoers voted for Huckabee compared with 45% who voted for McCain. And uh, so now uh, Tony Perkins says, and I agree with this, that McCain has got to be more proactive in reaching out to conservatives uh, if he expects these evangelicals to actually vote for him in November because some people really don't like him. And uh, some people have actually been angry at him over things like immigration or supporting expensive fixes for global warming. And they would rather have nobody or maybe even have a Democrat for four years. Uh, so, you know, he's got to reach out. Uh, Perkins says he already has the voting record to back up his claim to be a conservative, for instance, a pro-life voting record. But he has never led on evangelical issues. He's going to have to lead if he wants to get the socially conservative vote. We are taking your calls on this issue, 800-881-9270. Here's David and Kaufman. David, thank you for calling. Hey, how you doing? Great. Dana? How are you? I'm doing great. What do you uh, think? Two things he can do is one, go pro life, and two, quit being so flip floppy on civil union. Yeah, um, I guess you could say he's flip floppy on it. He, I don't think he has a real conviction about the homosexual agenda in his heart. But uh, he is pro-life. He just hasn't really led on it. And he has been for embryonic stem cell research, which kills the human embryo. So he's not as strongly pro-life as many people would like. Uh, and he certainly has not been for a marriage amendment to define marriage as between one man and one woman in the Constitution. So that concerns a lot of people, although I don't know that that will even come up in the next four years because of the Congress that we have. Well... Uh, Go ahead. We're looking at we're looking at uh, Supreme Court justice coming up, aren't we? Yeah, and that's important. And I really don't Very know important. what kind of justice he'll appoint. Hey, listen, thanks, David. Appreciate your call. Let's go now to Charles in Dallas. Hi, Charles. Thank you very much for calling. Yes, thank you. Uh, I think about the only thing that I think he could do is I've heard uh, J.C. Watts's name float ar floated around. And, as a VP uh, pick? To, to nominate him as his vice president, either that or Mike Huckabee. That's the only way I could, I could, uh, I would have to vote for them instead of him. Yeah. Uh, do you think Mike Huckabee would really help him, though? Because Mike Huckabee didn't do so well. I mean, he really didn't pull a lot of delegates. He didn't go outside uh, the evangelical community. 
I, I'm really not sure if he could or not. I, I really like J.C. Watts. Yeah, tell, I, tell us I a little bit about why. More than anything. Why do you like J.C. Watts? I like him too, but tell us. Uh, I, he, he has uh, the moral character that I'm looking for. Uh, I, I think he, he is, is 180 degrees different from someone like Obama and could really stand up to him. Mm-hmm. A conservative, uh, uh, a conservative African American. Just his moral character that I really admire. Great. Okay, Charles. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's go to Jeff in Arlington. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, I had a, a suggestion that maybe if he emphasized his position on pro-life a little more, because it was actually news to me today when you mentioned that he was pro-life, and I was wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. His record is pro-life. He, he always votes pro-life. He has said, though, that he would not be for an amendment to the uh, Constitution to make abortion illegal. Uh, that's been a part of the uh, Republican Party platform for uh, more than a decade, and he would not be for that. But as far as every restriction on abortion, he, is, he has supported them. Uh, let's go back to the phone, speak with Moses in Dallas. Moses, thanks for calling. Moses, are you there? How are you? Great. Go ahead. Okay. I just wanted to comment on McCain also. I, I have been considering voting Obama. I am a strict conservative. But let me tell you, if this guy doesn't uh, VP someone like Huckabee or somebody that's stronger or, or as strong, uh, I, I'm really considering that, and I just wanted to make a plug for Hannity and Combs Sunday night at 9. They're going to expose some of the things that he's d- dealing with. And uh, I plan on watching that because I am considering voting for him. Mm -hmm. Why are you considering voting for him if you're so conservative? Well, because McCain's, I'm I'm looking back at the last presidential election, how he's been just up and down. And and the Bible says that uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Are you pro-life? I am pro-life. I'm I'm pro-life. I'm I'm against abortion, you know, and and I am uh, for the sanctity of marriage. I am a conservative. But the, what I see in Obama is something that has been a, a good standard. He, he doesn't go the same way that we do, but if he's, if he's strong all the way down the line, and you got McCain that can't make up his mind, then I'd rather vote for someone Oh, I think, uh, I think John McCain can make up his mind. He just doesn't always follow the uh, conservative blueprint or roadmap or pattern. Uh, Barack Obama has been uh, deemed by the National Journal the most pro-abortion senator in the United States Senate. Here's John McCain on the life issue. I'm proud of my pro-life record of 24 years in the United States Congress. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to uh, really vote with our heads, and we have to begin to look at the issues and the differences between the candidates on the issues as we move toward November. We're certainly going to help you do that here on Jerry Johnson Live, and uh, that's really our job here is to bring out the facts and let you make up your mind. We love hearing from you. Thank you so much for weighing in on this, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, Carl Rove, of course, he is President Bush's political advisor, says that uh, John McCain might not get as much attention right now because there's still a battle between Hillary Clinton and uh, Barack Obama. So McCain is going to have to fight 
for attention. I think a good way to fight for it would be to talk about some of these issues that Christian conservatives care about. Next up, we're going to talk about the president-elect of Russia. Will he bring uh, some semblance of democracy back to the country? We'll ask Ariel Cohen of the Heritage Foundation. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. At this point, they now have a president-elect. He will be. He will take office on May seventh, and, and President Bush believes it is very important that we continue to have good relationship with Russia. It's in both of our countries' interests. That is uh, White House Press Secretary Dana Perino. Earlier this week, uh, she said that President Bush is looking forward to working with Russia's new president-elect, Dmitry Medvedev, and uh, with us to discuss. The possibility that this new president might just be an apprentice to Vladimir Putin. Uh, that is a possibility. He was handpicked. Uh, and also the relationship. Will it change with the United States? Will freedom and democracy grow in Russia? All of these questions on the table. With us to discuss it is Ariel Cohen, Ph.D., Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He has his doctorate from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, and he has worked in the field of uh, U.S.-Russian relations and uh, other international relations for many, many years. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Will... Dmitry Medvedev be uh, basically an apprentice to Putin, or will he uh, become eventually a strong president? What's your thoughts on that? Well, for the foreseeable future, um, and as um, Yogi Berra said, prognostication is a difficult task, especially about the future. Uh, For the foreseeable (laughs) future, uh, Medvedev is what I called him in uh, a recent article, is a mini-me to Putin's Dr. Evil. He is a much younger individual. He was always a backup for Putin. Uh, Putin dominates him. If, even physically, Putin, who is about 5'8", is towering over, over Medvedev, who is 5'5". Really? Oh, my goodness. He is a short guy. Well, I guess with the television cameras, that doesn't always matter. Uh, But I know they did work together before in the mayor's office in St. Petersburg. And in Newsweek, uh, they talk about uh, someone who worked with them who called Medvedev a hardly noticeable gray mouse. Nobody really paid attention much to him. Putin made all the decisions. Putin will uh, be the prime minister, and that's supposed to be a more administrative job. Will the two positions switch around, or could that be possible? For now, uh, Putin uh, has been called in Russia the national leader. That means, number one, the big kahuna, the big cheese, the man. And <laughs> Medvedev uh, is sort of derisively called the social president. He is going to do the soft stuff, health care, education, some economic reform, um, and Putin is going to do all the macho stuff, foreign policy, defense, secret services. Uh, and he, of course, surrounded Medvedev by his own hand-picked men, mostly secret services colonels and generals. Uh, in Russia, they're called the Siloviki, people of power, as in raw power. So for the foreseeable future, 
Kiev is going to be doing what Putin is telling him. But on the other hand, you never know in Russia as the formal politics takes back seat and what really matters is who is doing what to whom, who is handling the nominations, if and when I see that Medvedev is putting his own people in charge of the military, in charge of the secret services, and the large state-owned corporations, then we'll know that Medvedev is coming into his own. Okay. In Russia, President Bush has started out with a very good relationship with Vladimir Putin. And, uh, you know, we also had, of course, the fall of the Soviet Union and the beginnings of some kind of a democracy in that country. But over the years, of course, there's been a good economy because of oil. Uh, there's uh, a very strong presidency by Vladimir Putin. And uh, just in recent years, a really clamping down on freedom of the press and other areas in that country. So uh, in a sense, Medvedev could continue those same policies, or perhaps if uh, they begin losing popularity, he could allow a little more democracy, don't you think? Uh, not necessarily. For what he said so far, uh, Medvedev uh, supports free markets and supports lower taxation, and this is how Putin started also. Putin pushed through, in the first year of his presidency, the greatest economic reform in Russia. They, ca they cut individual income tax to the flat 13%. Mm -hmm. They still have a very high VAT tax, value-added tax, and uh, overall taxation in Russia could be quite high, and it's not uniformly enforced, which is a real drag. But uh, Medvedev is talking about individual responsibility, is talking about Ta tax deduction for education and health care and charity. So he's talking up a good game. The question is for how long the Russian uh, oil boom is going to continue. Uh, they clamp down on private ownership in the oil sector and move to more state ownership like many other uh, oil producing countries around the world did. Um, so I'm not necessarily very optimistic, but at least I hope very much that this slide uh, towards authoritarianism, uh, towards the rule of a strong man, Putin, is going to be at least somehow uh, kept in check. What role can the United States have in this? And uh, I guess I could ask you to answer that uh, depending on whether we have a Republican or Democrat in the White House. First of all, Russia is an extremely complicated country. Uh, it used to have the largest empires in the world in Eastern Europe and in what used to be the Soviet Union. Um, in the West, it's Ukraine, Belarus, Moldova, the three Caucasus republics, Azerbaijan, Armenia, Georgia, and the five Central Asian republics, the so-called Stans, the Stans, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, etc. So... Now the empire is gone, but Russia is coming back. The bear is showing his teeth again. And um, somebody with a lot of foreign policy experience in the White House maybe, maybe could build a relationship with Russia. If you have a candidate or a president who has no foreign and defense policy background, who didn't serve in the military... Uh, who is listening to 
harebrained Harvard professors, one of whom resigned today from his campaign, campaign. <laughs> about, uh, the resignation of Samantha Power from uh, Barack Obama's campaign. I think that's not the right skill mix uh, to handle the resurgent Russia. All right, our guest is Ariel Cohen, and uh, he is with the Heritage Foundation. He is an expert in Russian policy, also in Middle Eastern policy. And I want to ask you about that, Dr. Cohen, because, of course, Condoleezza Rice has been over there. And then uh, today we hear news of shootings in Jerusalem at this college, which is just tragic. Can you talk about that and whether the two are related? What happened in Jerusalem is a horrible crime. Um, a gunman with a Kalashnikov, uh, sub, uh, Kalashnikov automatic walked in at 8.30 in the evening into a library full of religious students. Uh, it's a seminary, basically. The kids are 15 and 16 years old, oh. and he shot up eight, he killed, murdered, in cold blood, eight religious seminary students, he had 10 wounded, many of them critically, um, and of course, a lot of kids are in shock. Some of the bodies were found clutching Bibles uh, to, their, to their heart uh, when they died. Uh, it is a horrible, horrible event, uh, and of course, uh, you would expect that the Palestinian leaders would denounce it, would decry it, uh, but nothing like that happened. The Palestinians in Gaza came out with candy and distributed candy in the street to celebrate it. You're I kidding. Think... No, I'm not. I wish I was. There were, uh, there were celebrations, and Hamas, the terrorist organization, which is on the State Department terrorist list, which is running Gaza, has declared responsibility for that. There's a responsibility for killing in cold blood, uh, eight kids who were studying the Bible and died with the Bible in their hands. And I cannot have words to describe the grief of the parents. These were good kids. Um, I traveled to Israel a lot. I lived there. I know the families, the type of the families who send their children uh, to study religious studies. And I have kids the same age here, mm. and it just breaks my heart. What it a tremendous, tremendous loss. Uh, we only have uh, just about a minute or so, Dr. Cohen. I'm so grateful uh, to you for joining us today. My pleasure. Could you make a comment, though, very quickly on this peace process? I mean, it, it almost seems uh, futile, in a sense, only symbolic, that uh, there would even be a possibility of a Palestinian state. What do you say? Uh, I don't understand, frankly, why my president, and I voted for Bush twice, and I worked on his campaign in 2004, why my president decided to be so committed to create a state in the Holy Land where all the practice of Palestinians today is to kick out the Christians. The Christians are leaving the Holy Land from the Palestinian territories. Of course, they have full freedom of worship and access in Jerusalem and in other areas of the Holy Land that are controlled by Israel, but in the Palestinian uh, areas, these people are squeezed out. And in Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus, um, Palestinians, uh, Palestinian Christians used to be 70% uh, in the 1970s. 
Today, they're less than 30 percent, mm -hmm. and that number is declining because the radical Muslims, like Hamas, like the people who killed the, these kids, are squeezing them and pushing them out, and they have to live for their life. Dr. Ariel Cohen, uh, you're passionate about Israel. We will have to uh, have you back on the program. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The lawsuit was really against the curriculum, not the Bible course itself. Teaching a Bible course is constitutional. I mean, that's a constitutional right that all districts have. The bone of contention was the uh, particular curriculum. Here's a question for you. Do you think the Bible ought to be taught in a public school course in high school using the Bible as a curriculum? Uh, that's what this court case has been all about. And uh, you can call us very quickly here in this uh, final segment of Jerry Johnson Live, 800-881-9270. Uh, there's been a law passed in the state of Texas affirming the teaching of the Bible in the public school. There's been a lawsuit uh, over in Ector County over an elective Bible class there, and both sides in this suit are actually claiming victory. I've got a press release from the ACLU, and uh, that press release says, Texas School Board agrees to stop teaching unconstitutional Bible class in public schools. Agreement with Ector County School Board will prevent unconstitutional curriculum from being taught. And that curriculum is uh, the one that's been contested here. It's uh, from the National Council on Bible Curriculum in Public Schools. I've read the curriculum. It's wonderful, but uh, it's been criticized as being too Christian. And uh, it looks like a new curriculum is going to be written over there in Hector County. Hector Mendez, who um, is there, uh, he is superintendent of schools, Ector County ISD. He said the school district will change this curriculum, but continue to offer the Bible elective. The right to offer a Bible course, because it is an offering, it's not a mandate, that remains intact, and that's what the uh, school board uh, voted on uh, several years ago. So that wasn't struck down, and uh, Kelly Shackelford and the Liberty Legal Institute say they're very happy. They've been involved with this case 
because uh, the district will continue to teach the Bible. Uh, if there are 15 or more students wanting this course, I think across the state of Texas, according to the state legislature and the bill passed last uh, session, then the school actually has to offer this type of a course. There's another course out there called the Bible Literacy Proce- uh, Project, and I have actually uh, looked at both of these curriculum, and I really like the one that was struck down better uh, because the Bible Literacy uh, one, although it's beautiful and it's got wonderful um, illustrations and a beautiful book, it doesn't use the Bible as, as its foundation, and it tends to question certain things about Christianity uh, in some places in the curriculum. So I was kind of rooting for the other one, but um, that's the way it goes. It looks like this district is going to write its own. And, of course, this is the ACLU is always challenging anything religious that takes place in the public schools. What do you think about a Bible curriculum in the school? You can give us a call on that. Hector Mendez, again, superintendent of Hector County ISD, says the school district has agreed to change the curriculum. The district now will be actually developing the curriculum, and we have to have that in place by June 1 of this year. That will be effective for the uh, next school year. Uh, the bill that I mentioned uh, was actually uh, Representative Warren Chisholm's bill, HB 1287, last session. Of course, we've had Representative Chisholm on many times on this program. He is such a good pro-family uh, state representative. But that was passed last session. It requires all Texas school districts to offer Bible electives uh, of if 12 or more students express an interest. So now uh, Ector County and other school districts are going to go back to the drawing board, review their curriculum for these courses, and uh, the Ector County ISD, of course, will be in the forefront. Everybody will be looking at them to see uh, what they put forward and what they uh, what they do with regard to that. Well, uh, again, you can call in on it, and I want to also preview next week Monday and Tuesday, I'm heading up to Nashville for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Dr. Johnson will also be there and uh, at Opryland. I hope I don't get lost. That is the biggest hotel uh, in the world, and every time I've been there, I haven't been able to find my way around. But it's always fun to see other Christian broadcasters, and I'm sure we'll come back uh, all excited about... Uh, the programming coming up and just with some new ideas. So uh, our favorite, everybody's favorite, Dr. Barry Creamer, professor of humanities, will be here in the studio on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, so you'll want to join us next week. I also want to mention a very, uh, well, it's been in the news today and you may have heard it, but it's actually a breathtaking uh, ruling coming out of California. California is sort of... uh, it's got uh, we've got our sights on California because this week the marriage case went to the Supreme Court and uh there's some folks out there trying to strike down the law in California that says marriage is between one man and one woman but besides that uh this other ruling we will go in uh to more depth over this case next week but uh the appeals court said that uh if you're a parent and you homeschool you've got to have a teaching degree basically uh, so this could subject the parents of 166,000 students in the state to criminal sanctions because uh, that's how many are homeschooling out there. Now, the Pacific Justice Institute has been the lead organization on the case, and uh, Brad Dacus, who heads up that group, says this decision is absolutely stunning. It's breathtaking. It not only attacks traditional homeschooling, but it also calls into question homeschooling through charter schools and children teaching children at home through independent study and through private schools. And that uh, if this is not reversed, that these kids 
receiving an education at home could be uh, actually, well, they wouldn't be receiving that education, and their parents could be uh, subject to criminal sanctions. And this particular judge in the second appellate court in Los Angeles, um, his name is Walt Krosky, and he had two other judges joining his opinion. And here is what uh, they said, and I'm quoting him. Parents who fail to comply with school enrollment laws may be subject to criminal complaint against them, found guilty of an infraction, and subject to imposition of fines or an order to um, complete a parent education and counseling program. Uh, So it's just another case of the state knowing uh, more about how to raise kids than the parents do. And, of course, we've been talking about this whole idea of parental rights and how your parental rights are at risk. And uh, there's a movement out there to solidify parents' rights in the Constitution. Uh, But there was a decision earlier in California, which was reversed in this decision, that said parents have a constitutional right to school their children in their own home. Uh, But this has been reversed. It will be appealed Uh, to the California Supreme Court, at least I hope so. Uh, I homeschooled my kids in the state of California, and of course this was a while ago. And there was, it was a little iffy. In fact, we didn't ever go out during the day because we were worried that somebody might challenge us. Uh, But all the states now have laws that are very protective of homeschoolers. And if you homeschool, you know that. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association has worked hard to get a good climate for homeschooling across the country. So that's why this is pretty shocking uh, when you hear this judge and this uh, judicial panel in the state of California uh, issuing this really draconian ruling against parents. So uh, hopefully this will be reversed. Meanwhile, I think it brings up the issue of parental rights that we really need to talk about uh, here in this country. So ladies and gentlemen, we've still got battles to fight here in this country. Whoever is in the White House, uh, of course it matters who's in the White House, uh, but whether or not there's somebody in the White House that you support or not, There are battles that are going to continue for Christians to fight, and that's why it's important for you to stay involved and informed. And uh, we hope on that note that you'll join us next week and have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.